Romans 5. Let's begin today. Let's read the first eight verses. The first eight verses. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Fathers, we, we come to your word. We just say, Word of God, speak. Lord, just by the truth of your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, just overwhelm us this morning. Lord, you know each heart here, you know each need. You know all about us, Lord. There's nothing hidden from you. And so, Father, speak to us, I pray. Speak to each individual the sermon that you would have for them this day. And, Father, I pray that you would keep me from error. I pray that you would guard my heart and my tongue and let your word speak. So, Father, use this earthen vessel, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Therefore... Having been justified by faith, and we've talked about this before, but let's just remind ourselves. Then Paul brings the results. Therefore, this is for those who have been justified, the redeemed, the born again. Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. No longer an enemy, no longer under the wrath of God, but rather now in a relationship of peace as a child of God. So therefore, having been justified... By faith, we have access to God through Jesus Christ. Him dying on the cross and the veil of the temple and His body, the veil now, and we go through Christ and through Christ alone, there is no other way to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. Amen? Only through Him. And so uh, the, the born-again believer has been made a member of the household of faith, the household of God, and we have access to God the Father through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in therefore, having been justified, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice with extreme joy in knowing that we have been justified in knowing that one day we will be glorified together with Him completely completely to live forever for eternity with him in glory. Now, we've, we've talked about that word hope uh, several different times, and it has a deeper meaning than the hope that we would use in conversation probably today. It's more than wishful thinking. It's a hope that is secure. It, it's not a perhaps it will happen. It is has happened, is 
continuing to happen and will happen forevermore. This hope is a surety, and this hope is based on the surety of the work of Christ upon the cross. We didn't sing it this morning, but often we sing the old hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where our hope is built. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, let's read verses 17 through 20. Hebrews 6, 17 through 20. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly, abundantly to the heirs of promise, the heirs of promise, born again believer, that's us. We are now heirs of promise. And thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. And who's the hope? Who is our hope? Jesus Christ, and we have run to the refuge, and we have laid hold of the hope that is set before us, Jesus Christ. And then verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Child of God, do, do we Fathom the depths of what we just read. <laughs> we are anchored in Christ. We have gained access to God only through Jesus. We are at peace with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him were the things on earth or things in heaven, listen, having made peace through the blood of His cross. See, we have peace because of the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. We have peace with God because of what Christ has done. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 21, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21, knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you, made, was manifest Became visible. How did he become visible? How did Christ become visible? Born in a manger. Walked on the earth. Made manifest. Was manifest. But, but was, was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Why did Jesus come? To save sinners. To come at the will of the Father. So that our faith and hope are in God and God alone. Our hope, our faith rests in this and what we know. And last Sunday we began looking at verses 3 and 4 in uh, Romans 5. 
And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. How can we glory? How can we exult? How can we rejoice in tribulations? Well, we can do it because of what we know. We've got to keep coming back to that. You know, we've talked about basics. We've got to keep coming back to, well, what do we know? What is it that we know as children of God that helps us to glory, to exalt in tribulation and trouble rather than grumble, rather than complain, rather than get bitter, rather than accusing God? What do we know? Well, we know this. Tribulation produces perseverance. We know that because His Word tells us so. Perseverance, that's endurance, that's patience. The ability to press on, to endure, to continue the faith in spite of hardships and opposition. Now, now James talks about this. I, uh, I believe we probably read this last week. Let's look at it one more time. He talks about enduring through trials and temptations. James 1, 12. We're going to read three different versions here. First, the King James, or the New King James. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Then the NASB. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. So there we have endures temptation, and the NASB perseveres under trial. ESV. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Do you see if if we if we take these three and get the you get the understanding and the meaning? So so we know tribulation produces perseverance, it produces endurance, it produces patience, it produces steadfastness. And as we endure and as we stand fast, this proves our character. See, enduring in the furnace of affliction burns away the dross and leaves that which is real so that we might know that our faith is genuine. And this gives evidence that our justification, that our faith is genuine. And this perseverance, this endurance, proves our character, our faith and justification, which in turn gives us more hope. More hope. Put, put that uh, the previous verses that has that verse... Uh, what, three and four? Produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, he's already talked about hope. And I'm going to talk about this just for a minute. And, and just, I hope that, and maybe I don't need to. I'm trying to discern if I even need to bring this up. But Paul uses hope in verse two and also in verse four. In verse uh Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then, character, hope. I want us to understand this. Hope doesn't begin because we have endured and proven our Christian character. That's not where hope begins. See, if you follow this, just this, this, if you don't take all of it, uh, okay, tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance of character, and then, and then my proven character will produce my hope. No. No, we begin with hope. We begin with hope. See, no one would be able to persevere in faith if they did not first have hope in God. So 
So I, that's what I want us to understand in the midst of this. To know that we are anchored in Christ. We have this hope first and then only can we endure the trials to the glory of God. And, and perhaps here I'll let the Word of God explain it better than I can. Here I am rambling around here. Let's go to Romans fifteen thirteen. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we start with the, the God of hope and He fills us with joy and peace. How? Well, in believing. Well, in believing what? Well, in believing all that Christ has done and all His promises toward us, the things that we know, you see. And the God of hope brings about our joy and peace, and our joy and peace brings about, I'm going to say it this way, more hope. As we go through these things, our hope, I believe, would get stronger. Child of God, we start with hope and we continue on abounding in hope. And this brings us to verse 5 in Romans 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And again, let's just remind ourselves, who's He talking to? This, this is the justified. This is those who are saved, have been saved. And the love of God has been poured out into our heart. And this outpouring is not a work of man, but the work of God through the Holy Spirit. It is supernatural. It is owing to the Holy Spirit. We don't make this happen. We can't make this happen. The Holy Spirit makes it happen. It's His work. And God loved us before we ever loved Him. In fact, we can only love Him because He first loved us. Let, let's read in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 10. 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, now this is amazing love. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. <laughs> That's love, isn't it? What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called His child. See, this is enduring love. This is inseparable love. Where do you get that? Well, let's go to Romans 8, verse 35 through 39. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Enduring, 
inseparable love. Who shall separate us from the love of God, of love of Christ? Shall tribulation? So this is, this is what we kind of talked about last Sunday and, and to some degree so far today. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that's security, is it not? What can snatch us, what can pluck us out of His hand? Nothing. Nothing. John 3, 14 through 16, you know this. John 3, 14 through 16, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, may we all know how much God loves us. Everyone. For God so loved what? What's it say? The world. Well, who's the world? It's all the sinners, all the everybody that's walking around on this planet. You mean God loves everybody? What's well, His creation? Yes, He does. But you're going to have to stay with me now to get the rest of the story. See, this love was of such intensity and of such a magnitude that it moved God to give His Son, to send His Son to die for the world, for sinful, fallen mankind, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, this is the gospel. This is the word that we proclaim to all the world. To everyone. To all of fallen mankind. That God loves you in such a way that He has provided a rescue for you, a, for your certain perishing if you would Believe. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How about John 5, verse 24? John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. And in John 6, Verse 47, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. So, to everyone on the face of the planet, I have no problem in saying that God loves you and has provided a way of rescue for your certain perishing. And to share the gospel. To let them know that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. 
for everyone. The gospel call goes out to everyone. Everyone. You mean to the regimes of the world that are killing and hating and yeah. You, you you mean to the one who has did all manner of evil and wickedness to me? To it goes out to them too, yeah. Because we were all once dead in our trespasses and sins, and aren't you thankful? For the call of Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news, isn't it? Believe and receive everlasting life. And you might wonder and ask, well, why doesn't everybody believe? Why doesn't everybody believe the good news of John 3.16? Have you ever wondered that? Why wouldn't everybody do that? Here's the more amazing question. Why did any of us believe? There's the more amazing question. Why did any of us believe? And I know I've talked about this before, and I kind of look back at my notes, and it's been almost three years ago, so we're going to talk about this a little bit more again today in regard to where we're at. And if, and if I've done it, Sooner than that, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Yes, it is. It is. Now listen, listen. There is a greater love than the love of John 3.16. And that's what we're going to talk about. There's a greater love than John 3.16. See, the love of John 3.16 is an amazing gift of Christ to the world so that the free offer to eternal life goes out to everyone. Believe and you will be saved. Believe and your sins will be forgiven you. God's wrath will be removed and you will have eternal joy with Him if you believe. But there's another love of God. And I hope, especially His children here today, that you can understand the depths of His love for you as a child of God. You see, this love of God goes beyond the free offer of the Gospel and chooses a people for Himself, brings them to Himself in faith, and makes with them a personal everlasting covenant. You, you could call this God's electing love. You could call it God's regenerating love. You could call it God's covenant love. And with this love, God does more than offer. And I hope we can all see this. He overcomes rebellion. He overcomes resistance. So that those loved ones receive the offer. And I can hear some who would hear this and cry out, but what about free will? It is by my free will that I will choose whether or not I'll be saved. Well, let me just say this. Every born again believer in here that you're truly born again, yes, one day you made a choice. But why were you able to make that choice? Because you were so smart? No. We love Him because He, what? First 
loved us. And, and let me say this, no one ever gets saved against their will. <laughs> no, one, no one ever gets saved against their will. See, God overcomes unbelief and creates faith by which we believe. Well, and again, I hear someone say, I don't believe God chooses who will be saved. I don't believe that. And I know I've talked about this before, but we come to be equipped. And if you have someone who would talk to you, and, and well, are, are you a Calvinist or are you Reformed? Are you Well, ask them what that means. People ask me that, and I say, well, I believe what the Bible says, don't you? I believe what Jesus says, and here's what Jesus said. Tell me, I, you know, I don't know. Is that what is that? I, I, that's just the Word of God. Well, I don't believe God chooses. And I always ask them this. Well, let's go on the Old Testament for just a moment. Let me ask you this question: Did God have a chosen people in the Old Testament? And they will blubber and stumble around for a little bit. Chances are. Because they have to say, yes. They have to. They, well, they don't have to. They could lie about it. God did have a chosen people, Israel. Israel. Let's go back. Let's go back to that. Let's go to Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15. God's choosing of Israel. To look at this kind of Love and God's election of the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. He chose. Did I put ESV in there? Yet the Lord set His heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. Uh, NESV, we could look at that too. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set His affection to love them and He chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is, as it is this day. But the point here is that God did not just offer to be Israel's covenant God. He chose Israel. He took them from all the people. He did not negotiate. He freely and sovereignly and unconditionally chose Israel. Let's go to Deuteronomy 7, verses 6-8. through 8. I let the Word of God speak this morning. Let's listen to the Word of God. Decide for yourself. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people's. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out, of a might, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, Israel did not choose God. He chose them. 
And God calls this love. And it is a love that goes beyond an offer. See, we see this kind of love in God's raising us from spiritual death and causing us to be born again. Let's go back to John 3. Uh, Remember, uh, this is Jesus explaining to Nicodemus about being born again. Scotty, this this was part of conversation, I think, after church last Sunday. Uh, John 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. You cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, in other words, being born again happens to us at the Spirit's will. That's, we, we got that uh, back in, in that Romans 5.5. 5, he has poured... Uh, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here we have the Holy Spirit moving at the will of God. We don't control the wind and we don't control the Spirit. He comes and goes with His regenerating power as He pleases according to the will of God. And this is called love. Look in Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6. Here it's going to be called great love. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us set together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we have great love. In First Peter 1, verse 3, we have great mercy. I'm going to read it from the NASB. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see that this is great love that goes way beyond offering to spiritually dead people that if they will believe, they will be saved. See, this love conquers our spiritual deadness. No, this is love. This is great love. It conquers our unbelief. It gives new life. It brings us to faith and unites us to Christ all in one sovereign instant. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. That was every one of us who was born again today, at some point, God made us alive. And I know I've probably read this quote from Piper before, but let me read this. So listen. Quote, Those of you who believe on Christ, God wants you to know yourself loved. Not only with the universal love of John 3.16, but also with His death-conquering, hardness-removing, rebellion-eradicating, sight-imparting, faith-creating, personal, individual, invincible covenant love of which we are absolutely undeserving. He inspired the Gospel of John, and I preach this message so that you would know more fully and experience more deeply how you are loved. Invincible, never-ending, covenant love. End quote. 
This we know. What the Word of God tells us. This morning, if you're a born-again believer, I want you to know how much you were loved. That He would call you to Himself and make you His own. To the degree that God had set His love toward you, chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. What? Preacher, you're getting, you're getting above me here. What? Well, let, let's, let's go read Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Let, again, let the Word of God speak. This is Paul. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. So he's, he's writing this by the will of God. Who's, who's he writing it to? To the saints who are in Ephesus. So the saints would be the children of God, the born again, the justified, uh, who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now listen. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Now, I know that's a lot. And I, I, we preached through Ephesians probably eight, ten years ago, probably spent ten, twelve sermons right here in the midst of this. There's a lot there, but it is truth and it is glorious. We read from 1 Peter earlier. Let, let's read uh, two verses one more time. 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these times for you who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. See, God chose those who would be the church, the body of Christ, before the world was created in eternity past. And I know we cannot fathom that in our human brain to try to sort out the mind of God. We cannot. By sovereign will, by sovereign decree, He chose those who were to be the members of His body totally apart from the will of any man, totally apart from any human consideration, purely on the basis of His will He chose. 
Let's go to Romans 9. If it's been a while since you've read Romans 9, again, just, just let the Word of God speak. This I know, if I'm reading Scripture, I'm on solid ground. I'm not out there wandering around with my own thoughts. If I'm just reading Scripture, I know I'm good. And so let's read Romans 9, verses 6 through 24. Now, I know that's a pretty good chunk, but it's going to pull everything that we've talked about today together, I believe. I hope it does. Beginning in verse 6. But it is not that the Word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. Now let me pause there a minute. Remember everything that Paul talked about in Romans, the first four chapters. What was he trying to get at with the, the unbelieving Jews? They kept coming to him saying, but Paul, we don't need your justification by faith. We have, we, we have our circumcision. Paul, Paul, we don't need your, your justification by faith because, because we're, we're a blood heir, our heritage. I'm a Jew. So, Paul, we don't need your justification by faith. And see, now Paul is, is just crushing those thoughts. It, it's not by your Christian heritage, the family you were born into. It's not by being born in, in the United States of America, which supposedly is a Christian nation. It's not by any of these other things that you are a Christian. You are a Christian only if you have been born again. Born of the Spirit. So that's what he's meaning when he says, "Not all Israel is Israel, and not not nor are all the children all children because they are the seed of Abraham, because there was unbelieving Jews, as well as some who came to faith." So that's what he's talking about. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is those who are the children. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. In this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by one father Isaac, for the children yet not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, this was before the kids were born, the older shall serve the younger. See, that's backwards, wasn't it? As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What? They've... They're not even born yet. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Because we could read that and people will, will get all up in arms and say, well, wait a minute, that, that, that's not fair. Well, well, let me just say this. Aren't you thankful that grace ain't fair? Think about that. Because if we all got what we deserved, we would all be on our way to hell right now. So aren't you thankful that grace ain't fair? It overcame my rebellion. It overcame my sin. So people will say, but that's not fair. That's not fair. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, certainly not. 
Paul says, certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Well, that's not fair. So the purposes of God are not fair. Verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? See, that's them saying it's not fair. Or who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me this way? And again, there's that. But it's not fair. Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. For God's plan and purposes, again, can we fathom this? Not with human understanding. Why did God allow Pharaoh to do the things he did. He raised him up and allowed him to do those things so that his power might be made known. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That's this how we were all saved, is it not? By the Spirit, in believing. In believing what? In believing the truth of God's Word. To which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were also once foolish. Okay, here, we, here we are. Also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasure, living in malice and envy, hating and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Because I say, well, how? Through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, here's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Poured out. The love of God poured out. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's, there's that thought again. Therefore, having been justified, He says it here, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
And again, I know that this is beyond human comprehensions to, to get a grip on this. And I know questions will arise about, well, well, what's my part then? What's my part? Well, what, what do I what what do I do? And, the, and there's something I do. Well, how how am I saved? How how do I know what I that I'm saved? If it's if it's God, if it's, it's the Holy Spirit, well, what's everybody's part? Everybody's part is to do this: believe, receive, repent. And this can only be truly done by a move of the Holy Spirit. Well, how will I know that? Because He will cause you to believe the truth. The Gospel of Christ. Romans 10, verses 8-13. through 13. What does this say? The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon Him. John 5, verse 24. I'm going to read some of these over again. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 6, 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. So believe and repent. Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In Luke 13, 3. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give You thanks. Lord, when, when the Holy Spirit came to me and revealed to me that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, I had no idea truly what was taking place. I just know and knew that I was lost. And if I would have died in that moment where my destiny would have been, and I don't understand how, and I don't understand why, but You opened my eyes to truth that I might see the cross and the rescue for sinners through the blood of Christ. And even now, having been born again for a number of years, I still am amazed that You would call someone like me and make me Your own. And I'm forever thankful. And Father, I pray that for every born-again child of God that is listening to this sermon even now,
that they would just marvel and be overwhelmed at considering the depth of love that has brought them their redemption, their salvation, their faith. And Lord, should there be someone who is yet lost, they're still in their sins, or they don't need to understand all of those things, they just need to know that Christ came. And He gave His life so that they don't have to bear the punishment for sin, the penalty for sin of themselves. But Christ came as a substitute. And so, Father, show them the rescue in Christ. In His body broken, in His blood shed for the remission of sin. And Father, overcome their rebellion. Give them grace, mercy. Show them love. That they would see You and Your righteousness. They would see themselves as a sinner. And Lord, and would have no other recourse than just to fall broken before You, crying out to You. So Lord, grant faith that they might believe. Grant them repentance that they may confess their sins and turn from their sins and follow You. So Lord, help us to share the love of Christ with everyone we meet, with everyone we know, to not be ashamed of the Gospel. And to know that the Gospel call goes out to everyone. And that then that we leave the work of salvation in Your hands. We must, we must, we must, because it's only by Your Spirit. So Father, help us to sow seed where that You would have us to sow it. Help us to come along after someone else has already sowed a seed to, as Your Word would say, to help water. To help give more of the Gospel perhaps and to share Your Word and to disciple. So help us, Father, to be about Your business. Help us to be about what we should be about while we're yet on this earth. Father, we love You and we give thanks. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.